At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombard here at The World Messenger, and I have another epic guest in Legacy Leader Show. And I'm super thrilled, actually, to introduce you to this guest who is known as the American Car Prospector. And you guys, if you've seen his shows on Discovery Channel around the world, you might be guessing who he is. But hey. what most people don't know, <laughs> but a lot of people don't know, we know each other at least back since 2006 and same circles around volunteering and making our local community better um, through different art shows and events. And guess what? As they say, rest is the history. I was lucky to reconnect with him and learn more what he's up to without further ado. I would love to introduce you to John Hems, who is here with me. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, Isabella. I'm doing great. It was really great to run into you in Boulder the other night. Yeah, world is so small and it's interesting how we're again in the smaller circles of people that are recognizing where the value is and where they need to be, right? Right. So, John, oh, my goodness. Uh, so what happened since last previously we saw each other, uh, which was would be at least, I would say, um, 10 years or so, and maybe even more so, 15 years or maybe, uh, obviously, if we're looking 2006, 2007. So you've been a huge community supporter. Uh, you've been involved in production. And before you know it, you became star with your own brand and your own production. Could you tell audience that heard about the American Car Prospector or didn't? Who, who are you? Who are you well, today? What are you known for? Thank you. Yes, because what happened to me was um, not anything that you could have ever planned for. Uh, but I got the chance through... Um, my network in the uh, car business and around car collecting and my volunteer work that I'd done for a very large car museum to try out for a Discovery Channel TV show. And I aced it and went on uh, Discovery Channel all over the world. And it's been the greatest adventure of my lifetime. And it actually completely changed me from a businessman previously involved in uh, securities and also in real estate although I still do have one real estate project left that I'm very excited about. Um, I'm full-time now as a TV production uh, company. I have my own company. I, have, uh, I do acting, of course. I also can do uh, directing, and I know a lot now about uh, photography and cinematography, sound, framing, lighting, everything that I knew nothing about when I started. I was... Um, completely self-taught in recent years. And it, it's been remarkable. And by the way, as always, thank you very much uh, to mom and dad and to Denver Public Schools and the University of Denver uh, Business School where I was able to graduate. 
That is fantastic. And you and I have also that in common with University of Denver and not only gaining education, but also continue to be supporters of uh, alumni and uh, grads, but also obviously um, community that is part of it that constantly is innovating and making a difference. So with real estate and everything else you did, you prevented yourself and you prevented yourself in such a great way that not only gets you to travel the world, so it's perfect uh, to be here on the Legacy Leader Show and uh, share the message of the world messenger back to the world. So speaking of that, um, where did you travel and and how many countries you've been as a result of that? Because you had a long-standing shows in many episodes, right, on the Discovery Channel. Well, there was a series that was done on Discovery Channel and uh, that was on uh, major broadcast networks and uh, inside of the Discovery Channel model in Africa, uh, the Middle East, and Central Europe. Uh, right now, I'm working on an expansion into Japan. There's been a lot of work gone on to uh, bring my brand, the Car Prospector brand, into uh, Japan. Um, last year, I traveled exclusively domestically, and I was in uh, 13 different states mostly in the Western United States. And it was really fun. In fact, it is really fun to be me. I I get to meet some amazing car people and some of the private collections and museum back rooms that I get to go into are, you know, not generally available to the public. And so it is really fun to be me. And it is really fun to meet people that saw me on TV, go and look at their garage or their shop. Uh, And that's what's different about me. Most car show hosts have a, a shop like Dave Kindig at uh, his uh, Discovery Channel show out of Salt Lake. He has an actual restoration and customization shop, but I'm a little bit different. I'm kind of a roamer. I roam around and tell everyone else's story. So that's different about me is that I'm actually here to tell other people's stories. And I see it through a car guy's eyes. So I have a particular skill, if you will, in getting to the really important and really cool stuff about other people's car stories. And that's the work of my life now is to uh, take that privilege of being able to be a storyteller for all of us and go all over the world and and go to as many places, as many uh, garages, museums, racetracks uh, as I can and, and learn the story and tell it on TV. I love it. Obviously, I am big fan on sports cars. And I grew up in Europe. And I'm curious, when you were in Central Europe, did you have a chance to spend any time in Croatia? No, although I would like to go. In fact, I have a museum in Slovakia, uh, which I know is not exactly Croatia, but um, there is a very major car museum in uh, Slovakia that I would like to go to sometime soon. And that's an example of a coming episode or probably more like a series that we would have where I would like to go to some of the big collections in the United Kingdom or other places, but I'm really not going to cover some of the more ordinary stuff that you see on TV. I want to go to the places that have never had any actual broadcast exposure and tell that story that's never been told before. 
Mm, that is so powerful. With that in mind, obviously, you've been, as you said, uh, covering uh, so many stories on so many continents. And from that, do you mind sharing a little bit what was one of the most fascinating experiences you ever had? Because obviously, being uh, around and being in Middle East and other parts, um, wh wh where did you find some either fascinating experiences or some very rare car models? Well, I, I could uh, go on all night, actually, but I will tell you about one story that happened before I was ever involved in the television production business. I was in a southeastern state in the United States, and I was uh, with a friend, and he had heard about a very rare motorcycle, and we had a chance to go and actually see it. And this motorcycle, a um, it's called a Scott flying squirrel, a 1929 flying squirrel. And it was a race bike, a racing motorcycle that only three were built. And uh, Jay Leno would have happily written a check for a half a million dollars for this motorcycle if he knew where it was. But it was in a chicken coop on this farm in the middle of rural America where you would have no idea it was there. In fact, it was critical to the owner. No one knew it was there because it would be too much uh, attention placed on this very rare motorcycle. So uh, he and I heard about it. We got permission to go by and see it. And the guy was gracious enough to actually let me look at it. I couldn't photograph it. I couldn't actually record anything about where it was or what it was, but I did see one of three Scott Flying Squirrel motorcycles. And this was the one that was never raced. So it was in absolutely pristine condition. Wow. And the owner had bought it in 1958. So it had only ever had two owners. So very rare, but the best part of the story is still coming because when we were there looking at it, a neighbor stopped by and said, well, you know, so-and-so down the road has those two cars that his grandfather owned that he put in a barn in 1961, and they just got shipped to here in southeastern in southeastern uh, United States. And they're over there looking at them for the first time. Would you like to go with me and go look at them? So of course we said immediately, we'll go. So we drove to this place that was down the road and sure enough in the barn, there were two vehicles that had previously been in Idaho for decades and had just arrived. One of them was a 1936 Packard touring car, which is an enormous car, 24 feet long, 6,000 pounds. It was a gorgeous example of an unrestored Packard from the what we call the tall grill uh, era, which is when the all the uh, cars had just sort of these high grills on them. And anyway, it was gorgeous, but it, it was all put uh, away properly so that it could be restarted by a mechanic anytime. The problem, of course, is that it would have taken quite a bit of time. It was late in the day. It was already uh, after dark. So the other car was more interesting to us. And what it was, was a very rare 1919 Franklin. And Franklin was an aircraft manufacturer that made uh, aircraft motors, air-cooled air aircraft motors in World War I. Wow. So they supplied engines for fighter planes in World War I. And then after the war uh, ended, they started building cars. 
So the reason why this car was more interesting to us was because it didn't have a water pump or radiator or any of that. And it was all there and it had the spark plugs were out of it and each one was marked where it went and everything could be reassembled in just under an hour. So we put it back together and it was amazing because when you turn the key, the doors locked automatically wow. on a 1919 car. Okay. Wow. That is amazing. It, it was amazing. But here's what's most amazing is that we fixed it up with a gas can and got some gas into it. And it started on the first try. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. So this, this car was rare to begin with. And then it had been owned by a real hardcore car collector who had put it away properly back, you know, five decades before. And when we got it back together and just tried it, it not only turned over, it started. So for a car guy like me, this was a really amazing day where I saw a 1929 Scott Flying Squirrel, the only one that I'll probably ever see. I also got to look at this amazing Packard touring car and then this 1919 Franklin that we that we got to start. And that that was a really good day to be a car guy. And that's before I was the car <laughs> prospector. This is amazing. Okay, so now with that in mind, you have to tell us a little bit more. I know you always had a passion and it's been uh, also something you've developed for real estate and great properties and opportunities just beyond obviously commercial residential, but creating something that is meaningful and impactful for others so that others can enjoy. But I truly never knew about the other side of you, uh, which is passion for cars. So I remember watching when I was a little girl, Formula One, I always had a passion for that. I remember in 2019 driving on in Monte Carlo on Formula One track in Monte Carlo City like twice and, 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 you know, being excited, just seeing in modern time, amazing toys uh, and never seen so many colors of Ferraris or many models that existed, uh, not only because it's European market, but how much of customization could be done, let alone everything else that was there. So I'm curious, how did you get into uh, passion for right. cars? Well, uh, automobiles is the biggest demographic in the world. About one in three men is a gearhead, and about one in 10 women is also a, a, a car nut, if you will. So <laughs> you got it. it's, the, it's the biggest demographic in the world, and I was part of it from day one. Um, my parents were always fascinated that I was so attached to cars from the very moment that I was a, a little boy. And then I worked uh, during my childhood at various garages in the neighborhood around where we lived and at a very high profile car museum here in Denver called the Forney Museum. You may remember it, it's down in the Stockyard Coliseum area. And I knew J.D. Forney. Um, my mother was a busy antiques collector with a shop on South Broadway. My father was a prominent Denver lawyer. And during the summer, they liked to... Uh, get me out of the house. And they took me down to the Forney Museum. My mother made a deal with uh, Mr. Forney. He was from Fort Collins and he was a industrialist who built welding machines and airplanes and all kinds of things. And he had a huge car collection, which at the time was in Cinderella City, which was the largest shopping mall in the world at the time. It was located near 
Santa Fe and Hamden in South Denver. And the, the, he had hundreds of cars in the basement of the shopping center. So I was the, uh, the dust guy that walked around with a dust rag and dusted the cars and answered questions for people. Today, many of those same cars are still on display in the museum, which is presently uh, in a facility near the Stockyard Coliseum. In fact, I can show you a picture of uh, myself that was taken by a friend about two years ago. This is me with a, uh, a Messerschmitt, which is a micro car. That is not like the one that's at the Forney Museum. That is the one that I helped J.D. Forney push off the uh, transporter in 1966 when I was a child. Wow. I honestly didn't know how that love started. And it's so fantastic because usually people do because it's a great investment, collectibles or whatever. But when you have the passion from so early on and desire to learn everything about them, no wonder your show is being extremely popular. But I'm sure everybody is dying. How did you actually became with the name, with the brand of the American Car Prospector? And, and how did you um, you know, to capitalize on that knowledge and, and childhood dream and desire? Well, I'm a, a business school graduate, and I think that television is going to have more and more people like myself who are business businessmen and business school graduates come into the television business. Uh, television's reputation has not been very good uh, over the years, lots of different problems and things. Um, to me, it was just a business opportunity, but it also gave me a chance to express my deep interest in transportation in general, because I not only cover cars, I cover motorcycles, trucks, antique, military vehicles, hot air balloons, airplanes, powerboats, anything that burns fuel is inside my wheelhouse, something that I think is interesting, and I know a lot about it. And I've been around it now for so many decades that I have actually helped make history in some cases with automobile collections. For example, the very large LeMay Museum in Tacoma. I was a volunteer there for many years and knew Harold LeMay and helped him with his collection. Um, that kind of um, legacy is part of my life. The, the shops that I worked at, um, the independent Porsche garage in Denver that I was uh, working out when I was a teenager. Um, I so, love Porsches. You got me right here. <laughs> yeah, I, I have ambitions. I would like to drive a Porsche on race day at the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Um, I've done some uh, race car driving. And in fact, I, I drove a, a Corvette race car at the High Plains Raceway east of Denver in the first series. And a lot of people commented on that. And I had a lap time that was uh, pretty respectable. And I think that in the fullness of time, I'd like to take my audience with me as I go hill climbing. I'm not really interested in wheel to wheel racing. I'm really more interested in time attack hill climbing. And I would like to go hill climbing in uh, Europe and in the United States and uh, New Zealand and uh, Asia. There's a number of places where I could do that. And that's my ambition is to eventually um, have a Porsche hill climb car that I can use to uh, maybe not make record runs, but maybe just use it for exhibition and, and camera car runs. I have to say, 
Um, my big dream is to do that in Europe because I've been driven around specific parts of the French Riviera and all the way down to Croatia. And Croatian coastal line uh, has such a curvy, edgy, uh, two-lane traffic, right? Even though with all of that change, with these breathtaking views. And when I was younger, I did a little bit of that, you know, in the evening when it was not as crowded and just that speed and opportunity to just embrace that sense of freedom and, you know, beautiful smell and sensation of, you know, Mediterranean or Adriatic uh, coastline, but, but just that, you know, uh, I, I can't explain, like James Bond, I think already put that <laughs> in my own blood, uh, but what I just to say, uh, it, it feels like it's just such a beauty also, because it's not just the what engine and power and, and type of car you may have. And Porsches perform phenomenally on the curves, but just this overall sensation and satisfaction because of these environments, because every little curve and edge and different city and different little town is gives you different view. And it is so mesmerizing because it doesn't feel boring. It doesn't feel like you're on constant same circuit and going in the circles or, a, you know, and, and it's just the over and over same boring scenery. Well, what you're describing there is called Grand Touring or GT motoring. And that's where you have a performance vehicle and you go from place to place and you might be uh, staying overnight or going to a winery or uh, out to dinner or whatever it is. That's called GT. But maybe what you'll do with me sometime is I'll take you to the track and we'll put you into a race car and we'll put you in a helmet and a fire suit and I'll take you around on a, on a track day so you can see what it's like to ride inside of an actual race car. And that's a pretty exciting experience. I am definitely already signing up, so you can't get away from it. <laughs> but I have to say, after experience Monte Carlo and driving and seeing, obviously, Formula One drivers and cars and how they're setting up and being mesmerized by years and years, obviously, since I was a little kid and favorite thing to do with my dad, um, I always wanted to have that experience. And it's really interesting because again, you know, not everybody offers and not every, not everywhere you can do that safely. Right. So where would you say was the, one of the best experiences where you could test drive in those environments as a, as a, as a true race, race track, and, and, and enjoy the speed and performance of the vehicle. Well, uh, my two favorite tracks are what we used to call Seattle International. It's now called Pacific Raceways in South Seattle at Kent, Washington. That's a very historic track where uh, Ken Miles, for example, the um, individual that was covered in the Ford versus Ferrari movie, uh, he raced at uh, Seattle International when, uh, in the 1960s. I have taken driving uh, lessons, uh, race car driving lessons there and made a number of hot laps there. And then the High Plains Raceway east of Denver is actually a much more uh, modern uh, facility and, and really a terrific spot. And that's where I would take someone like you uh, on what we call a hot lap day, which is where you can just kind of bring your own car. And as long as it goes through tech inspection, then uh, and everybody has a helmet, uh, then you can uh, take a half an hour class and, and be either a a passenger or take a more advanced class and be a driver. Uh, hot lapping is really fun. Uh, there's also uh, a giant facility in Utah. Of course, California has a number of them. 
some of them are more country club environments and some are more just uh, drag strips and things like that. So there's all kinds of them. Uh, Colorado, by the way, has five really excellent go-kart tracks. Uh, go-karts are thrilling. Uh, they're inexpensive. Um, and it's something that uh, it's a, a, a really intense experience because you're so close to the ground and they're fast. Uh, and when you're that close to the ground and there's no body work around you, it's an exhilarating uh, feeling to be in a in a, a performance go-kart. And uh, sometime maybe we could go do that too, you know, maybe go do a little bit of karting. That sounds fantastic because obviously I, I think I've been in one that it's indoor and I know it's a multiple ones that are outdoors, but so beautiful is again, speed, right? Because safely way to get that out of our system. And I'm so glad you're bringing up how what's available in Colorado that a lot of listeners who are coming to visit can experience, but also other parts of the country. And then also some really amazing spots that you guys can discover if you watch John's shows and right now obviously not only they're being shown on the Discovery Channel but I'm seeing them on other platforms so where they can find I've seen some of your shows on Tubi but I'm also seeing some stuff uh, all over you have such a huge uh, presence and a lot of things on YouTube channel uh, oh my goodness so where would you tell some of the guys to go and get a little bit of flavor not only of your show but things you've been able to talk about and show and explain specifically around very those rare models that others might be interested in buying or just simply wanted to be educated about? Well, um, first of all, um, there's so many different ways now to reach out to people. My uh, social media has been shut down for a period of time during the pandemic. I didn't support it, and I'm going to be regenerating all that uh, this year in 2023. We'll also be um, revitalizing the YouTube channel. And I believe that the next time I produce a series, I'll go to Amazon. <clears throat> so Amazon has uh, got a terrific potential for a car show because they produced one called GT with Jeremy Clarkson. And uh, Mr. Clarkson and his co-hosts are not really working any longer. And all those car guys that are at Amazon looking for a new car show, I'm sure would love to have me uh, put one there. So that's my goal right now is to get one uh, up this year at Amazon. And you'll just have to be patient while I get my social media running again. Um, part of the problem, of course, is that, you know, I have so much fun and it's so fascinating to have my day-to-day -day experience that I forget that I have to work. So I'm going to be focusing uh, more this year now on going back into production. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, you couldn't get insurance. And I was uh, like everybody, I was uh, in a very remote ranch where I only went into town about once a month uh, and I, I wasn't able to produce. So um, I can tell you this though, I was noticing recently on my, uh, my Google photography, uh, you can find me on Google as a reviewer, and I now have, uh, I'm coming up on 8 million views on my photography, most of which was taken in the last four years, and that is mostly car photography. There is some, um, you know, landscapes and different things like that, but there's some really interesting uh, reviews and really interesting uh, photography on Google that um, is available. I'm also going to be coming out with my own art storefront 
artstorefront.com is a um, website that I'll own that has my uh, shorts, reels, and still photography. And the reason why I've been reluctant to support my social media is because um, I was finding my photography in uh, journalistic articles and different things where they basically just went to my Facebook page or wherever, Instagram, and they took my photography and, and uh, didn't honor my copyrights on it. And so I had to stop that process of people swiping my, my photos. And I'm going to go to the art storefront where my copyrights are protected and where you can order the exact size of the photo that you would like and the exact graphic or decal or whatever it is, you'll even be able to buy t-shirts and mugs and different things for the car prospector brand. And that's all coming this year as well. So it's gonna be uh, the biggest year for me on, on my television stuff in a while. And I kind of put some of my other business interests um, aside now this year, and I'll be refocusing on, on my brand, the American Car Prospector. I love it. So for everybody watching and listening, this is fantastic. If you just Google and I will share obviously details and some of the links where you can find some amazing stuff about John. But I love also, John, I know when we go through a different ebb and flow and when we get exposure, uh, a lot of things change, right? And I'm so glad you're protecting your work and also finding other avenues at, so you can be visible and also be able to uh, have access and others to have access to your phenomenal work in a right way, uh, because obviously it takes a lot of time and effort to produce that. And I forgot to mention your photography is amazing. I had a chance to see some of the recent stuff and it's just to have over 8 million views and such a high interest in less than four years. That is amazing and remarkable. Well, um, thank so you. I, I really work hard at my uh, photography. Um, I, I really work hard at my uh, skills as a producer and as an actor. And I do uh, live radio. I do live events. I do hosting at um, car meets and, and different car clubs. Um, I can do uh, a, a number of things in, in media. And I, I really think that I've got something with my automotive photography that's going to really be really different than anything that you've ever seen. And I'm really excited about it, and I've put a lot of work, uh, time, and money into uh, getting my photography ready to go. And I, I think um, I, I'm probably the most plagiarized car TV show host in the world because I write all my, my own material. Most of the people that work at the big networks that make car TV are just copying someone else's TV show and putting their own actors into it. And mm -hmm. I know that because I can be watching um, you know, a major production from uh, the largest reality producers in television. And they took my screenplay with the exact type of vehicle, the exact narrative I gave, the exact number of actors, everything, just like I did it. And that's me that they took that from. And they're supposed to be the big production companies. But the problem they have is that the creative types in Los Angeles and New York and Atlanta oftentimes are film school graduates, but they're not gearheads. They don't really know cars like I do. They don't really have decades and decades of experience being around cars. So when they tell a story, it's gonna be pretty pretty rotten a lot of times. In fact, you know, people complain about how bad car shows are. And I could just share this with you. When I got the call to be on Discovery Channel, 
they um, told me that they had heard about me and they thought I might make good TV. And the exact words that came out of my mouth was, well, it would be better than the crap that's on there now. And that's the way it worked out was my, uh, my, my TV production was watched by the highest income, highest educated consumers at the network. And there's a reason for that. And it was on Friday night on primetime all over the world. I didn't make Saturday morning TV. I made a primetime television show that had myself and, and my stories about cars in it. So that's what's different about me is I write my own material. I really do know a lot about these old vehicles and things, and it really is my passion. And look, I'm an old cowboy on TV. I'm going to be producing a long time. I want to make a thousand episodes of TV. That is, I love your brand and I love the way the shows are set and your talent speaks volumes. And this is something for everybody watching and listening. Copycats will overcome. People will take it and not give a credit. I see this also with so much of my work and work of a great talent, but they cannot steal your creativity. They don't know what next is coming. They cannot steal your knowledge and your passion and your craft and your signature. Because if everybody comes and look at what's his signature on every single show, what is his signature, how he approaches subject in his photography, how he focuses on and how he speaks because words are so powerful. Choice of words, it's profoundly meaningful. So now that I watched your episodes and I had a chance to really, again, connect the dots, how I know you and who you are, how you always speak, it just beautifully attests to that, that even the big conglomerates and big companies may play some sometimes unfair, may do a lot of bad stuff. On the end of the day, as you said, if you don't have in you, you are just copycats and you're just playing safe and you're just repeating. And original, originals are costly, aren't they? Original costs a lot of money. Look at all the, look at what I have. My favorite painting that I purchased as a painting, but it's not original. It's a copy, but I love it because I can have it in my own home. Van Gogh with me because I love the colors. I love who he is. Unfortunately, we lived in different times and era. I never had a chance and opportunity to meet him while he was still alive, but I absolutely appreciate his work. Well, wait until the audience sees what I have coming because I promise it's going to, it's going to set a new bar for car shows. Okay, I have really worked hard at this and I have really got some stuff coming that is gonna be world-class and all of it completely original, no fake drama, no fake actors. I also, everything I shoot is impractical and all the people that are there are real people that I found, they're not actors. And this is gonna be a whole different benchmark for car TV shows coming. I we're running out of time and I want to mention I'm wearing my Walmart hat for tonight's episode. I came on originally with my cowboy hat and we couldn't get the lighting right, but I want to tell the story of why I'm wearing my Walmart hat. Please. So, uh, last year, uh, I was on the road for five months and I was in 13 states and I ended up in Bentonville, Arkansas. And I went to the Walmart Museum which is in the square in Bentonville, and that's where the original Five and Dime was. Well, I ended up meeting some Walmart executives, 
And they knew, they had seen me on TV and they let me know that Sam Walton's pickup truck, which is one of the most famous trucks in the world, was going to be moved out of the museum because they were going to remodel the museum. So for two years, Sam's truck is gonna be in a warehouse where it could be started and driven. And I'm gonna be approaching the um, Arkansas Art, Arts Commission about some funding to tell the story of uh, Mr. Walton's uh, pickup truck when he was called the richest man in the world in 1991. He was still driving his 1979 Ford truck. Jay Leno was so impressed by that that he actually has an exact copy, same year, same color as, as the original truck. But when the truck is in the museum, it's really hard to tell its story because you can't start it or do anything with it. But for the next few months, it's going to be available and I may be able to get permission to film it. We'll have to see. Then the other thing that happened was Sam Walton was a pilot. And I heard that his first airplane was available in Fayetteville, Arkansas at a museum. And I went and looked at it and I was absolutely astonished to learn that it was a Forney air coupe. Mr. Forney from the Forney Museum in Denver built the airplane that Sam Walton bought his first airplane. I found that airplane. Wow. That airplane is going to be moved from that museum and installed in the new conference center at the new Walmart campus they're building in Bentonville and hung from the ceiling. Right now, I could tell its story because it's still sitting in the hangar. So I'm crossing <laughs> my fingers that I'll be able to pull this together and go tell the story of Sam Walton's first airplane and his pickup truck. And I was, I was very fortunate to have found that story. That is brilliant. And I love that. And I actually, uh, that's how you connect the dots and how you're again, childhood, first job, dusting up the cars and family that um, gave you opportunity to tinker with it and uh, continue to uh, feed into that passion and love. And look at how many years later you connect in the dots between transactions that occurred and yes. uh, and and passion and and where things went and 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 why why somebody buys something what they meant to them but also all of those amazing people to build tremendous legacy. So speaking of that, we were on Legacy Leader Show and you already have amazing legacy that you created for yourself by living it and uh, obviously and leading with it because obviously you're a leader in the car space and living that every day and everything you do, which is phenomenal. My curious, what would you like to leave? What would you like to be known for? Uh, beside obviously the brand you already have and tremendous impact on global scale. What else is there in that bucket list of yours, John? Well, I will probably be known as a health and wellness advocate in the long run, Isabella. Um, I'm beginning with my mother, um, and then uh, I was one of the ones in the uh, when I got to college that embraced the idea that uh, if you ate right and exercised and did things, that you could be healthy and strong your whole life. And I'm just about to the point where I can call myself a super ager, and mm -hmm. I'm going to be doing things uh, like snow skiing and uh, riding motorcycles and driving race cars and skydiving, and uh, I'm going to be much, much, much older than people who typically do that. 
And I have some very specific goals about that, but um, I'm a health and wellness advocate. My mother started that process. She always said, as long as you have your health, you can meet any challenge that you have, but you must be healthy and strong every day of your life. And I was able to meet a nutrition instructor as a freshman in college at Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado, uh, who I actually met with a couple of years ago. She remembered me as one of her very best students. And um, I want to especially reach out to car guys because car guys are notoriously bad at taking care of themselves. Yes. And they'll change the oil in that car every thousand miles, you know, and take care of that car like it's, you know, their life depends on it, but they don't take care of themselves. So, you know, I end up meeting with the widow who has a couple of hot rods that her husband left to her and she doesn't know what to do with them. So I want to have car guys look at taking better care of themselves. And I'm going to lead by example in that. Okay. I'm also going to be uh, doing some uh, things as a sportsman that uh, typically someone later in life doesn't do. And I hope that that will be interesting and fun for people to watch uh, me do that. And I hope that it inspires them. But when you get right down to it, really what I am is, is everyone's storyteller. And I mm -hmm. consider that a privilege. And mm -hmm. I, I'm going to um, continue to do what I've done. Uh, in fact, I made some major uh, museum donations during my lifetime. I made some uh, really uh, high profile uh, charity uh, giving, uh, and I've done that my whole life, but I'm going to ramp that up too. So being a storyteller and giving back is what I hope I'm known for. That is amazing legacy. Again, and knowing you, John, how honest, transparent and driven and uh, also passionate about helping people making difference. I know that is in the cards because you've been already doing that for so long. And I'm super excited that you focus in longevity, that you focus in on well-being. I saw you in person in Flash the other day. You look fantastic, very, very active, very lean. And matter of fact, I was like, oh, my God, I need to up and up my game because I think both of us want to hit that over 100 mark, don't we? And the beauty is that a lot of perception, what we should and should not do when we hit certain milestone are just outdated, limiting beliefs. Our mindset is so much bigger and different than that. And I just want to say kudos to you, my friend, because you demonstrate that you eat, breathe, and obviously act every day, which is fantastic. Well, thank you. It's fun to be me. Um, it also takes a little bit of discipline. And I do really work hard at the things that I'm uh, deeply interested in. And, and I'm, I recognize that I'm uh, privileged in many ways. And the way that I can return the tremendous good luck that I've had is to uh, give back and to tell our story and make us dignified and powerful in that. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.